Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we've been going, um, as we have been in the past few Saturday evenings, uh, going through the secret prayers, or the whispered prayers of the priest, the priestly prayers that are said uh, at the beginning of Vespers, during Psalm 103, slash 4. Uh, we're in the third prayer, so I'd like to go ahead and read it, uh, and then make a few points from it. O Lord our God, remember us sinners and thine unprofitable servants, when we call upon thy holy name, and put us not to shame in our expectation of thy mercy, but grant us, O Lord, all our petitions which are unto salvation, and vouchsafe that we may love and fear thee with all our hearts, and do thy will in all things, for thou art a good God and lovest mankind, and unto thee do we send a glory to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, now and ever and into ages of ages. Amen. Many of the prayers of the church and our own prayers are asking God to remember us. And to remember us especially because we very often feel disconnected. We all very often feel uh, like we are on the sidelines, that there is something missing. And this is especially in our own sinfulness, our own inability to pay attention, to concentrate, to rest in God. It's also just with everything that we get distracted by, that we feel the weight of our sin, that we rightfully call ourselves unprofitable servants. We recognize that we're servants. We recognize that we've fallen short. We also recognize that we're unprofitable. This is, of course, the language of Scripture. As all of these prayers, and if you've probably already pieced together, uh, that most of the prayers of the church are pastiche. <laughs> they are mosaics of just Scripture that are then basically assembled into the prayers. The anaphora, uh, in many places, is just... Uh, Ephesians, Colossians, Ephesians, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Psalm, Psalm, and you just, you get so used to it uh, that the education of the church uh, in its prayers uh, is an entire journey through the Bible. It's a summation, a distillation of the entire gospel and the revelation of God, and it's distilled into these particular prayers. This is especially true as we remember, ask God to remember us Sinners and unprofitable servants, when we call upon his holy name. The name of God is a constant theme throughout Scripture. When God is bringing Moses up, summoning him to lead his people, he has to reveal his name because Moses asks, what, Who are you? And who am I going to proclaim to these people? I am that I am. This is the same when we come to the New Testament. God, when he comes to, re to release his people from bondage, the importance of his name is underlined, so much so that at the beginning of the year, uh, we also commemorate, one of the commemorations on the 8th uh, is of January, is that the name of our Lord, that he is uh, remembered, sorry, February 2nd, uh, around that time that you have, uh, especially from January 1st, the circumcision, uh, the name of our Lord, baptism, the entrance of the temple, all of that sacred history of our Lord and his coming into this world is bound up 
particularly in the revelation of his name. Who is going to be the savior of our souls? And then if we look through the book of Acts, what is it, the power of the particular name? There's something, as they say, in a name. And you have the whole summary of the gospel to this day. If somebody says Jesus, all of it comes in a flash. All of that entails the salvation of God. Because he, God is not distant. God is not um, someone. Well, God is someone. That, that is one of the main revelations of Christianity, especially uh, within the Old Covenant. It's not just um, a force like Star Wars. It's not some kind of uh, God among the gods, but this is the God of above, standing above, beyond all the gods, uh, all of the spiritual hosts, and his name is Jesus. Put us not to shame in our expectation of thy mercy. It's one of the things I think that suffers the most with the privatizing of religion is that it used to be that everything of the religious life was lived as a community together. It was all out there. I especially have been slowly reading uh, through the novel. I know I'm a few years behind the trend, but the novel Dolores which is set in medieval Russia. If you haven't read it, uh, I highly recommend it to you. Uh, if you're already going, okay, a Russian novel, and you think of Dostoevsky and Tolstoy, you go, I don't think so. This is not like that. <laughs> you don't have to get 500 pages, yes. And then it repeats itself, like Brothers Karamazov. Um, this is, you can, you are in the mind, it's fascinating, the mind of the church that just permeates that book. That everything is lived, the trauma of loss of life, the, the holy fools that are in the book, that all of this is happening in the street, that all of this is happening and their entire world is absorbed. There's just, of course there's saints, of course there's demonic uh, presence, of course there's this... Uh, acceptance and lived reality of what it means to follow God. And that would, of course, then come with shame, that the expectation of God's mercy, the expectation that God will deliver us, the expectation, uh, the not just a presumption, but an understanding and trust that God does deliver, that he's not going to leave us hanging. That he's not going to shame us that we have been saying uh, this is what is true about God. That we are somehow going to be left out there and God is going to be, you know, who, <laughs> I think everybody can relate to the feeling of, oh, I'm going to meet this person or here's my friend. This is all they're about. And then the person meets them and they're just nothing like what <laughs> you're experiencing them. And then there's something about this person that brings out. And you're just kind of ashamed, like, okay, well, sorry that I, or a restaurant maybe, that you've suggested to somebody, say, oh, they have the greatest thing, and then you get, they come back and like, that was like the worst meal I've ever had in my life. You put all these expectations into it, and then it just crashes. That we, with our God, when we petition Him, when we call upon His name, He's not going to leave us hanging. 
He is not going to be a recommendation that we give to others, that they're not going to come away with some experience of him that is not merciful, loving, and indeed powerful. There's especially potent in this prayer an entire uh, theology of prayer itself. Grant us, O Lord, all our petitions which are unto salvation. One of the challenges of prayer, one of the always the critiques and rejection of the power of prayer, is how often it seems that we pray for something and we don't get what we want. There's a reason for that. That's why enshrined within the Lord's Prayer, Thy will be done on earth as is in heaven, or in Theotokos, acceptance of the will of God, let it be unto me as your word has commanded me, that our will and what we think that we need or want is not always what is unto our salvation. That when we pray, uh, and especially the prayer books, the Psalter, all of the hymnody of the church in shaping our prayer life is absolutely important. I remember when I first encountered I'll just say a liturgical church and experience of prayer. I suddenly realized how much stuff I had never been praying about. <laughs> that every time you come to a service, you have a list. And yes, it's the same list every single time. We're going to pray for the president. We're going to pray for the civil authorities. We're going to pray for those in their own forces. We're going to pray for, even if you don't like any of the above or you're critical or whatever, you still, as scripture commands us, to pray for them. Uh, we especially need to be praying for them right now, uh, as, as almost always, but there's a particular uh, weight right now. Uh, we especially need to be praying for all those who are traveling. And you just go down the list of all the things that I so often, in my selfishness or myopia, only pray for things that I think that I need, or maybe somebody who's like right in my ear asking for something, uh, or, you know, but that there is a kind of universal or Catholic experience of prayer that the prayers of the church and the prayer book shape your heart, that your prayers are found to be unto salvation and what God actually wills. That prayer itself is something to transform you, not just to kind of register with the uh, fellow upstairs about like sending mail, this is what I want, like Christmas to Santa Claus. But that the petitions that we ask of God, they're unto our salvation, that will not be put to shame because we expect his mercy. And that we ask in all of this that we love and fear with all of our hearts and to do God's will in all things. I think I've said at the very beginning of the first prayer, the silent prayer, but it's throughout the prayers of the church and throughout scripture, uh, there is a real need for us in our spiritual life uh, to keep things in tension that a lot of contemporary Christianity or our own will and desire is to kind of pull them apart. That the love and the fear of God are kept together and that there's a fruitfulness in the tension if we think that somehow they don't belong together that we're not supposed to fear God. 
yes, there's an unhealthy fear of God. Yes, there's also uh, an, a sentimental or not real love for God. But that love of God and the fear of God belong together. That we fear him because of who he is. That we have the right awe. That we have, as this is the root word of awful, it doesn't mean that something is like bad, but that it's full of awe. That it's something that makes us stop in our tracks and go, okay, I need to wake up, I need to do something different, uh, like a revelation from our spouse or from our children about something and we are kind of stuck, you know, that feeling when your heart just drops, your stomach just collapses or the butterflies enter it where a truth has been revealed and you're just kind of caught there, deer in the headlights. But that, what is your reaction to that? Hopefully it is a reaction of love, of humility, of repentance. Because love and fear, especially before God, need to be held together. Because we can have a form of love that has nothing to do with God, but has to do with our will and our idols or what we think or want God to be like that leaves us Unfortunately, within wallowing in, uh, as we've done at the beginning of the prayer, in our sinfulness, in our unprofitableness, we just end up missing God. And we say prayers to our ego, or we desire to follow what we want, rather than the path that our God has set before us, that we follow with fear and trembling, but with deep devotion of love and trust, just as our Lord did with the cross that was set before him. So may God, uh, as always, show his mercy that we be not be put to shame, but that we pray uh, that all of our petitions will be granted into our salvation, that we may be transformed to love and fear God in all holiness. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.